and it's found on page 816 in the Church Bibles. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver, became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. I say my splendour is gone and all that I hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering. The bitterness and the gall, well I remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Here is the reading. Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 12. We commence at the first verse. For those who'd like to follow, it's on page 1090 of our Red Bibles. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. <clears throat> After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. 
Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people, the Jewish people were anticipating. When, he had, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she rang back, ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, It must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and, did, and didn't find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered they be executed. Here ends our reading. Uh, let's bow in prayer first of all and then I'm just going to chat with David for a little while. So let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we just pray for your blessing upon um, David as we just chat now and uh, we further pray that as we look at your word that you would open our eyes that we might behold the wonderful things out of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. David, thank you first of all for joining us at, at 8 o'clock this morning. Yeah, thank you. Tell us how you came to come to, uh, to St Matthew's Manly. Uh, I came to St Matthew's Manly when I was in Sydney Road for three weeks. Every Sunday, because uh, I, came, I came in Manly in December. So three weeks before I came to Manly, I always like being in my house and just praying, I was like, God, I need you to direct me where I can go and be a part of a family just to worship you. So the three weeks I was in, a, I was in my house just every Sunday, just sitting there with my keyboard, your keyboard I had and, and a Bible, just praying every Sunday as a church and yeah, in my house. Then one day I was, I was just, I was feeling like I need to come here. It was a Sunday morning. Dave Humby was leading worship and yeah, it was just amazing and the message was amazing and I was like, wow, I love this church. And after church, uh, I talked to Dave, I was telling him about everything and yeah, I was like, I feel like I need to come and to join the family and be a part of the church. 
So from there we told many things about, yeah. Forgive me, I'm just going to take that away from you. Yeah. 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 I just realised that was for me, not for you. Oh, yeah. David, how long ago was that now? Mm, now, since January. I came here in January, so now it's eight months. Eight months. Yeah, eight months. So what is it like for you to be away from Burundi? Uh, to be away from Burundi, it's a bit hard because I was born in Burundi, so having a family, friends, and so especially in my culture, when you see like, yeah, you know how to make jokes with your people in your culture and stuff, so when you move away from your family, it's a bit hard. Yeah, yeah but uh, I can say something, to be honest, so since when I came to, I came to to this church, this is my heart, and I found I find a family, I find friends, I find sisters and brothers, I find like I'm, I'm in my heart, I'm home. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty hard at the moment, isn't it, being away from Burundi. You have a brother who's unwell, and um, you, you've you also seen a lot of tragic things happen in your family, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, I was, uh, first I can say, uh, we are a big family, seven. Uh, seven kids, yeah, five boys and two girls, and my dad and my mom. It's a Christian family, uh, so I miss them sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I miss them so much, and yeah, I was so close to my mom. Yeah, yeah growing up, yeah, she always tell me what to do and teaching me many things. And so about what happened in my family, uh, it started when I was ten years old. So, and yeah, it was very hard because of uh, a member of the family, my mom's brother, he joined the, the opposition party and this was a bit hard for us. Yet when he moved away, so the uh, soldiers from the government, they used to come and ask questions. Sometimes they came in different times. And so they took my mom three times away for one month two months and some, yeah, this kind of stuff and asking questions about what is going on about, yeah, my uncle and so to be honest, because my uncle is not even Christian, it's very hard, yeah, to understand what is going on, so like, because my family, they are involved in the church and so it's hard, like, to know what is going on, especially when in the church, especially in my country, the way things are, when you are in the church and yeah, it's hard like to combine with political stuff when it's like ethnicity, Hutu and Tutsi. So we have to be careful the way we are. Yeah, we are managing this kind of stuff. Yeah. So you're seeking permanent residency here now. How is that going? Yeah, I'm seeking permanent residency here. Uh, as going, uh, I did my interview. Yeah. So what happened? So it's just waiting to see what will happen. Yeah. So I don't know until now. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea about what is going on. So there's uncertainty there, yeah. 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 Um, you, you haven't said a lot about your adversity, but you, we understand that there has been adversity, and there's certainly adversity now, and you sort of downplay it, which is your nature. Yeah. <laughs> um, but tell us, uh, David, how have you trusted, how have you sort of, um, what sustained you through all of that? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, there's something I, can, I always appreciate about my dad and my mom. When we were kids, they always 
teaching us and reminding us to to love God. Yeah, they were like, guys, we don't know where life will take you this year, and but one of the things we can give you, we don't have too much money to give you, but one we can give you is just wherever you will go, keep loving God, move with God, yeah, protect yourself, and yeah. So when I moved from my country up to here, because uh, before when I, when I grew up, I went to a church being a worship pastor for seven years, and so when I moved, one of the things uh, I can I can thank God for was like a, a relationship with God in small things, especially when I came to Australia. I had no family, and yeah, when I was in Sydney Road, no one, and I remember spending time in my in my room, yeah, just praying. I was like, God, now, uh, no father, no mother here, so you are everything, and I was like, I just want you to show yourself to me as a father, as as uh, as everything I need, and I remember praying, asking God for different stuff, and. So I saw God moving in different ways. I didn't even expect. I'm overwhelmed about what is going on with him. And sometimes I can laugh to myself. I'm like, God, you just God. And he's like, he's just God. Yeah. He's everything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so there's one last thing you wanted to say. Yeah. You were telling me you wanted to say something to give you a minute. To yeah. Something. Yeah. One thing I just want to say, I just want to say is, I just want to thank God in front of everyone here, the way God, God has used or God is using each one of, of you yeah, in different services here just to, to be a part of my journey. And I saw many people standing up, supporting, supporting me in different ways, material stuff and prayers. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you to the ministers, Bruce, yeah, Max, David and Dave Hungry. Yeah, and yeah, I saw God using them in different ways just to to be there, to support me, to yeah, to laugh with me sometimes because sometimes uh, I was expecting to have people to laugh with me. And I just want to say thank you to, to Alex and Tonya. The people are giving me somewhere to stay. I'm staying in a family, yeah, and I'm happy to be a part of the family because it was one of the things I was expecting to see. I was praying that I need to be in a family. I don't want to be just by myself. I want to be in this kind of being in a family, enjoying life, yeah, laughing, and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah God, has, God has given me a family. I'm happy with them, with the kids too, yeah. And thank you very much. God bless you so much. And I just want to tell you something. I really love you, and... I love to be here. I love to, to, to serve God with, with you. God bless you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, since knowing uh, David, uh, I've been very impressed with David's calmness of spirit and how he engages with God in the midst of what I regard as extreme circumstances. And as you clearly uh, say, David, um, it, it's through God restoring you that has brought this about. Um, David, you, you capture our hearts uh, with your lovely serving nature, your ready, wide African smile and uh, easy-going nature. Uh, you bring us joy, so thank you. 
Uh, David's the first to acknowledge in the midst of his adversity that he's been blessed. As we've heard, he has a place to live. He has provisions of many kinds. He's able to study music at TAFE, which he loves, and he does some work which he enjoys. And uh, from the perspective of St Matthews, it's been a joy to see the church family working together in generosity of spirit uh, with David. But David's situation is extreme. He's displaced. He's in a foreign country, away from family and friends that he loves, unable to go back through threat of possible death and uh, seeking permanent residency here. And he lives with the uncertainty of that. Even our response uh, to our circumstances and the way we join with others suffering with them is all part of the activity of God. It's working it out now. Whatever is decided now, whatever happens now, has never been before. And there's a creative work of God each day. It is alive. So I've titled today, God's Hand, Though Unseen, is Working. And we affirm, uh, yes, that God is at work in his world, but by its very nature, it's something we're never quite able to grasp because there is a hiddenness to it. The end of things has been made known, but it's still yet to be. And initially what has been on my heart for today was to encourage us in thinking about some characteristic of our great God because I'm committed to the belief that we need to keep on reminding ourselves, keep on reminding each other of who God is. Who is this God that we place our trust in? That is, who is he as revealed in his word and keep that word before us in our thoughts of God. So indeed, I still have that well in mind, but I now wish to consider this in the light of personal realities like David's in the midst of and uh, the people he is representative of, people who are asylum seekers and groups of people who are struggling in extraordinary circumstances right throughout the world. Two weeks ago, I was asked in a deeply concerned way what I think of all that is going on at the moment in the world. And I was being asked in my role as pastor And a special concern in this person's mind was the diabolical situation in Iraq, uh, the persecution of people, especially the persecution of our Christian brothers and sisters, along with other minority groups, particularly the Yazidis. Yet coupled with this was the sense of the frustration uh, this person was facing at work, uh, where the attitude to Christians was not sympathetic and to mention anything of concern may have been misrepresented or even twisted. Uh, so I do not know if you are aware or not, but Facebook and, uh, um, uh, Facebook and all other modern media communication, it seems, have been particularly active in reporting the events in Iraq and Syria and their extremity. And my understanding is that our tech-savvy young people have been uh, getting loads of information during this time. And many have wanted to somehow pledge their solidarity uh, with those suffering, signing uh, on their Facebook comments uh, with an Arabic N, the sign, Uh, Christians in Iraq have been given by their persecutors to mark them out and are demonstrating through signing to say to all, this is who I am as well. I'm one with those who are being persecuted. And so for all of us, the happenings have been brought to our attention through various media, the news on TV, warning of late on a regular basis, the scenes that we're about to show may offend some viewers. Uh, Then we see, among other things, people being herded together Uh, to be shot or whatever. And more recently, uh, that ghastly scene of a mere boy with the head of a dead soldier and the latest taunt, the murder of the American journalist James Foley. We're seeing all this in the comfort of our lounge rooms and our heads reel 
we feel sick in our stomachs and we think we cannot imagine the extremity of the suffering, the heartache, the pain must be unbearable, maybe even a sense of shared guilt within us. And shows such as the ABC's Q&A and SBS Insight have also been indicating uh, the way that militants are seeking to enlist uh, young Muslims in our community. And we have words at the moment which are barbaric, atrocity of immense proportions, genocide, shocking in the extreme, and now pure evil coming before us. And so the questions that confront us, in a sense, are the old questions being asked in a more urgent manner and being framed maybe in a different way with a sense of a greater horror. We wonder, is God impotent to save? Can he not see the suffering of humanity generally and is his own people in particular? Uh, in our utter helplessness, we ask, what is holding him back from intervention? Are we incapable as the resident caretakers of the world at an international level of stemming the tide. And I wonder if I'm right in thinking that terrorism has uh, come, since terrorism has come, a new wave of extreme violence has come with it. It's become upfront and personal and shocking. And we can grow in alarm. Many, uh, many now live daily in fear and feel unsafe. And we ourselves can begin to feel unsafe and we're told that this is the intention of those to embrace terrorism uh, such as ISIS, to incite us, to pressure us and our governments to overreact. And when we think about all this, evil seems to be winning and we can be thirsty for revenge. And the psalmist faced similar questions and says out loud in Psalm 37, Fret not yourself, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only evil for those who are evil will be destroyed but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land and so on the psalmist is aware that God's hand though unseen is working and there is I suggest here both a personal and a global perspective and just a word on the side when we see things on television as those who align ourselves with God and his purposes uh, we would do well not just to say, what's the world coming to, but rather to commit all that we've seen to prayer. So also at the personal level, even in our somewhat protected lives, we can have our battles. We too can be overwhelmed by what life throws at us personally in sickness and disease, failing health, financial concerns, unrelenting emotional difficulties, concerns for family members. We face disappointments and losses and changes seem to be part of life. More and more they come at us. And we could easily lose heart at the personal level. And in saying all this, what I offer today briefly is not a solution to anything. Um, it can only be just a partial uh, glimpse, as it were. Uh, it cannot be. It is simply a refocusing of our gaze, an encouragement to hope, and a call to recognise afresh all that we have in Christ to seek him, to call upon God in prayer. And so in times as these, what I propose is that what is important for us is to recall who our God is, uh, the resources we have in him and who we are in him. So to have our Christian worldview always at the forefront, to realign ourselves with God's perspective, and I suggest to you that what we can do no better than to take hold of such realities as the reality 
that of who we are in Christ, to own it more, to lean into our Father, as one young man said last week. And uh, we are to be a people who trust in the providence of God, people who trust in the provision of God, in his faithfulness, which will then engage us as people of purpose and praise and prayer. And as we do that, we become part of what God is working uh, in, for he is working and he's working his purposes out. We know through scripture that he is in control. We know that he does see and hear. We know that he's allowing grave things to happen, which is also indeed part of our dilemma as Christians. But we also know that he does not willingly bring affliction to anyone, as Lamentations goes on to say. So while there is life and breath, while people do not give regard to God as the one whom we're responsible to, this is the world that we're engaging it with. This is the world we're part of. And as Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So God's word makes it clear. God doesn't change, he's in control. However, Satan is the prince of the world and evil can look like the winner. But we're not to fret, we're not to give in to fear. And as we turn to Lamentations, we ask, how could the people of Israel say in the midst of great distress, say of God, great is your faithfulness, Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And the book of Lamentations shares the overwhelming sense of loss that accompanied the destruction of city, temple and ritual, as well as the exile of Judah's inhabitants. Jews traditionally read it on the anniversary of the destruction of Solomon's temple. And many also read it each week at the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. And of course, there would have been profound significance in its original purpose. It's poetic in form, much like the Psalms. There is the freedom of overstatement to capture God's attention. I'm the man who has seen affliction. Verse 4, he's made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. 6 and 7, he's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He's walled me in so I cannot escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without hope. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. He's broken my teeth with gravel and trampled me in the dust. It's evocative language of a person or peoples who are in the midst of dislocation and disorientation. And now through such speech it becomes a visible event that now exists between the prayer and God. God is compelled therefore to notice And such evocative speech gives shape and power, visibility and authenticity to the experience. And it becomes an act of hope. It's recognising realities and dying to the old situation, the old possibility, the old false hopes, the old lines of defence and pretence. And it's to say as dramatically as possible, that's all over now. And our natural instinct might be to shrink back from this overstatement. Yet we all know what it's like to be kicked when we're down. We cannot pretend to manage things that are unmanageable. We need to participate in this way to allow the hyperbole to sit and see the possibilities in the future in our God who brings new life in the face of death of all kinds. We bring them to God because they have to do with him and we move towards reorientation. And so um, in Lamentations, the writer continues and says, 
I remember my affliction, my wandering, the bitterness and the gore. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we're not consumed for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I'll wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So great is his unfailing love. So Lamentations, although it is communal, it is felt personally, yes, but it it is a nation that is experiencing this abandonment. And we see here in the midst of extreme affliction a calling upon God who is sovereign, confidence in his providential care, confidence in the goodness of God. He is indeed, as it expresses here, the Lord of hope, the Lord of love and the Lord of salvation, the Lord who is faithful. And in a quest for realignment, in spite of all evidence to the contrary, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Grace is your faithfulness, he says. Elsewhere in scripture we read, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. He was promised is faithful. So then God's hand, though unseen, is working. And I'm just going to go right to the end now because I realise we've um, taken some time. So I want to encourage you that through the Holy Spirit we're to be a people who are to own who we are more, people who trust in the providence of God, people who trust in the provision of God, his faithfulness. And so we engage with the world as a people of purpose, a people of praise and a people of prayer. Friends, the God whom we trust in is worthy of all our praise, worthy of all our trust. He is above all and he is over all.